Right now, one of the hardest things that we are going through is being accepting to the idea of change, being accepting to growth, having the ability to adapt or to be open to change puts you in a better position to better successfully run your company, your family, and your own personal life. This is especially important during these times of COVID, the pandemic, the times of uncertainty when you may need to pivot resources or maybe your business or maybe your family to accommodate and personal change that you're going through in today's world. Stay open-minded with new opportunities and new ways of doing life, and you and your company will grow over time. Now let's get this party started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. It is Monday morning Monday. here on the Time Machine edition of the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, That's work three hard. E's. Three E's in Time three Machine. Three E's We're on the Time Machine. Officially in the Time Machine because it is Monday night and we are recording Monday morning show. Yep, yep. So we didn't Don't get ask to, how we do it. We didn't get to do it live Monday morning. We're doing it live Monday night, and we're going to put it on Monday morning. Exactly. Through the uh, the time machine on the internet. Because <laughs> up, up where, you know, the publishing date. Yeah, right. just switch it. Just switch just that switch up. Switch yeah. It. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Just like journalism. You were wrong. You just switch it. Nah, Nobody just, knows. No yeah. big deal. It's just words, man. Just words. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We're still kind of getting caught up here. Sterling had five out-of-town jobs last week. I had four out-of-town meetings. Makes it hard to do a morning show when you're yeah. trying to be in the same 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 room. I'm pretty sure I'd crash if we tried to do this show while I was driving. But we got so many work hard interviews done last week, so they're all available right now. So Catherine Hill, president of Patronus Petroleum by Jenica Hauser, that's available. Uh, Mayor Steve Bakken is not. He's a scheduled guest later this week. Okay. 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 So upcoming. Kat Galloway. She'll be our play hard interview, I believe, tomorrow. Okay. Okay. So she's not posted yet, but she'll be our play hard interview tomorrow. Nicholas Melosi. He's available at thecrudelife.com. He was a play hard. Uh, Caleb Amick. He's with the Dickinson Press. He's a energy reporter. Well, he comes on here and he represents himself because mm. he does not get the blessing of the newspaper to say where right. he works. He's not speaking as right. He's speaking, he's speaking on behalf of him, which is cool, uh-huh. isn't it? I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Is this guy that interviewed you when you were up yep. there? Yeah, yeah, he's nice. The, he's the reporter who interviewed me, and I said, "Would you mind coming on our program?" I said, "You can plug your stories." Yeah. Well, he's and like 20, 21. I mean, his kid's mid-20s, mo- yeah, 25, so Seriously 26. motivated, passionate. From Indiana, I believe. Okay. Uh, so he's, you know, hey, man, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp, <laughs> a small town, right? Good middle American stock there. So, but he, he represents kind of that, that generation, and mm. so he's questioning. Yeah. And he's, he's a journalist, so he sees the BS. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to enable him. Right, so I'm trying to enable him by being frank with him. So he'll call me and, and he'll ask me questions about where the bear shits in the woods at the Bakken. Right? <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, because he covers it out there, yeah. and he, he wants to know the truth because he's trying to help people. He's in journalism. Dude, the last time there was $100 oil, that guy was about 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> You know what That's I mean? Amazing, actually. You're right. You know, is it his whole like? You think about somebody who's that in their 20s, mid 20s. What 9/11 up to today, basically, they've right. grown. They've grown up in that world. So yeah, I'm glad he's asking you. He probably wants to get a lay of the land. And he's uh, so he comes on and and you know he, he kind of does the good, bad, the ugly. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't see race. Right. Mrs. Mr. Chang. Mr. Chang. <laughs> so it's it's very, you know, he's, he's going to be a great guest to have on from time to time. But he's scheduled this week. Apparently, there's something that happened out in the Bakken, and so he's going to come on and be our... We're uh, always looking for different voices. Our news correspondent. Well, you know, that's the one thing Good we do have here. Man. We do have news correspondents. So we've yeah. got Terry Edom up in Canada. He's up in Calgary because we like to get an update. He writes for the BOE Report. That's right. Okay, they're like a, a weekly... Energy, mm-hmm. but they're daily because they're online, you know. But he also has a blog, Public Energy Number One. Man, you can't beat that. Public Energy Number One. That is He's awesome. He's not even like a rap fan, really. From my understanding. He just hit that by accident. Just smart dude. Boom. Yep, smart guy. He, and then of drop. course he's an author. Uh, the end of the fossil fuel insanity because that's right. We had a we had a good talk with him. I remember now. Yeah, well, a lot of journalists um, can kind of see through the the bs pretty quick yeah and so they start questioning and today's leadership they don't like questions today's teachers they don't like questions <laughs> today's politicians they don't like questions well, you got to come up with answers and people so, don't like answers so either that's why media mad libs is winning mm-hmm. because it's much easier to go into a morning meeting come up with a news story and then go out into the world and fill the blanks in Right. Because that's what the media has been. I've been a part of those meetings. Okay. So they exist, folks. They're mm-hmm. real. So it's fun to bring on actual journalists. Who do we got on the East Coast? We've got uh, two out on the East Coast. Yeah. So we've got Mr. Jim Willis with the Marcellus Drilling News. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Tom Shepstone with Natural Gas Now. And I'm trying to think if we've got anybody else off the top of my head. Josh Swanson, actually, but he's an attorney. No, oh, we won't hold that against him. He does a. <laughs> Those, uh, it could come in handy for you. He does the uh, NDSU Bison podcast. Oh, nice! And also the NDSU Bison radio show. Okay, so and also he's the a fan. NDSU Bison column in NDSU Bison Illustrated. Thinking he picked the wrong vocation, man. I think he actually has NDSU Bison pajamas. He wears to bed. <laughs> I would totally wear. I know he an has an NDSU it. onesie. He does have a mask with the NDSU. On oh, well, I've yeah, seen that. Man. But that's all. You can get those it. everywhere. I know that's no big deal. I won't hold that against him. No. Okay. The other stuff we're getting to the nauseating character <laughs> territory. Okay? Well, you know, fan with, is with short the bed for fanatic. And the and you know, fanatic. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're getting. Do they at. still make underoos? I wish they did. I was always jealous. Seriously, I'm not kidding you. I don't think I ever I was had them. Jealous in my twenties. Yeah. Oh. In my 20s, I wanted Superman underoos so that when if a date went well, yep. I wanted to see how hey, it, I wanted to see what happened. You'd be proud of that, man. <laughs> if I had Batman underoos on <laughs> and I got, you know, to that point of the evening, would we continue or would they leave? I met or a, would it get really wild? I, I'm thinking it probably opens the door for some more That's fun. That's where man. I was. I was thinking that all of a sudden you I were looking for education. a cherry on top. I met a girl once that had a. Uh, she bought she bought on sale. It was underwear days of the week, but they only had Monday. 
<laughs> so she had like seven pairs of Monday underwear. Just for the record, we started out talking about journalism. Just for the record, we started talking about the, the, the truth will be known. And we got to the truth really quick, didn't we? Well, maybe we're lucky and we ha- we're not actually recording. No, we are. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> we got a heart stop there. All right. Still coming up this week as well. Uh, actually coming up in later today in this very program. Yeah, today's part of this week. So. Ron Gusek will be our Monday, April 12th. Excuse me, I had to do that for a second uh, with my sleeves. Uh, Liberty Oil Field Services, he's the president. The interview is available in its entirety, isolated already online. But if you want to hang out and wait till the work hard portion when Sterling are done and Isla are done yapping here, uh, you can certainly check it out and let's see. Uh, he talks about ESG. He talks about environment. He talks about public relations. We stay out of the kind of where he's got business going and, uh, you know, the, the business plan. We stuck with the keep America beautiful because that's April's theme, you know, is keep America beautiful. Right. And so all month long, we're celebrating and honoring those companies and individuals who are keeping America clean. And personally, and I have a, championship belt to prove it because this is the mo- the, the, the so that's how real it is this is the thesis that won which is the oil and gas industry is the leader in the environmental movement and it has to do with the innovations and the contributions to the renewable world renewables ain't doable without fossil fuelables how about and, that blows a lot of people's minds well it is and when you can actually have a, an actual intelligent conversation they see really quickly that, mm-hmm. yeah, the actual, they, they are. And, you know, you start pointing out the self-correction, the, the uh, decarbonization over the last 150 years, you know, where whales would have been extinct if we didn't discover the, the use of petroleum and kerosene and other oils, uh, you know, and, and walruses and seals would have been next. Of course, Alaska probably would have been the new New York City mecca, We'd have been up there getting all the blubber we can to keep our <laughs> to keep our lamps alive, you know. I mean, well, that's where we'd be. Uh, yeah. Did you ever read Moby Dick? They used every darn part of that whale, man. I mean, they didn't just leave it. it Did was, they? Pretty much. They were Native Americans when it came to the. the, I, the they whale? were. Well, you know, it was an it was a resource. What would they use the bones for? The big, you know, the rib scrimshaw bones. and things like that. You know, for uh, art. Okay. Sold like that, yeah. But they they use the stuff for makeup. The sperma seti or whatever the the gooey insides of the whale, yeah, they totally got in there, man. Is it amber grease that comes from whales? I think it might be, yeah. It's the uh, like a bile yeah. type of a blockage, some sort of secretion, right? Yeah. And then it, it washes up on a shore, mm-hmm. and then it gets used as a female perfume. True no, story. That does not surprise me. I mean, I and saw Fight Club. There used to be a time when uh, I think a king would eat it, uh, and so there was there was it was a delicacy too, amber grease. So it's like. And they find it in whale poop, actually. Well, you know what they used to use for mouthwash in ancient Rome? Urine, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. Well, it it sanitizes, yeah. Native Americans would, too. Uh, But it would be like yours, or it's like your buddies, or, you know, I mean... I would hope to whoever you pray to, it is a fresh, warm urine. Yeah, like not the early morning stuff, man. Not... I mean, somebody rolls up there after eating a whole thing of asparagus. Ouch. Have you ever, has, has it ever touched your lips? Urine? Yes. Ever? I don't think I want to talk okay, about this. Okay, three times for me. Three, okay. Three wow. separate occasions. Wow. 
Once by accident, two by bets. Okay. We, okay. Yeah, we, and just a reminder, we started on journalism. And <laughs> get to the truth. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too far into this because it's disgusting, but... I uh, hope you made some money on this. I, I, oh, yeah, I did. Okay, um, good deal. I, I will say this. The one by accident <laughs> was the freshest urine. <sighs> okay. And it was the warmest. I'm not sure that... Yeah, I guess that may... I don't know. Well, your body temperature is 98.7. Right. So your urine starts out there. And okay. And then it, just, it decreases from there. Okay. Okay. When it you're seems in a, warmer in the snow. When, but. when you're in a bedding scenario... <laughs> To drink your urine or mouthwash with urine, because it was a mouthwash thing, okay? So when you're in a betting scenario, yeah, should we get some PSA music going here? I'm so the, the more you know. Do we need Mario Lopez to come in here? Zach, Zach Morris? No, I think we're going to need therapy after this. Well, that's we need that. Okay, long so time ago. okay, we, we so should. you're in a scenario. The the urine cools because. Okay. You're trying to get as much money as you can. Oh, there's the haggling. Because you're about to do something that no one else will do. Right. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this was what the Romans did on a daily basis. Yeah, and they turned out okay. This is what the Americans did on a daily basis. Dentists would do this in early tooth care because it was an antiseptic. Yeah. Okay. That stupid Libra part kicked in and it stuck. And that's where I do not like myself. Okay, I, I I like when it keeps going to vapor. Right. It's it's when it gets stuck that the crazy ideas turn into action. And you're like, I can do this. Right. Because at some point, I'm like, okay, it was batting back and forth. Okay, Romans, mm-hmm. Native Americans. Right. You're justifying uh, it in your mind. Chandler peed on Monica's leg during uh, Friends of uh, when she got stung by a jellyfish because urine is an antiseptic. If you get See? stung by a jellyfish, if, if the friends did it, it can't so be bad. All this medicine kept mm-hmm. going in. That was enough for me. Take, Not once. Take that plunge. But twice. Same night? Twice. Different times. Oh, di- different times. Now you're like a pool shark. You're like, so, yeah, the, man. The second time, it was a decade later. I'm like, I've done this before. Be like, I'm, easy, I'm drunk. Easy I money. I might as well do it. Woo! Easy money. I want to impress her. <laughs> and for some reason, I thought that would impress her. <laughs> Strike three. Oh, hey, man. Strike three. I haven't even drank the urine yet. Yep. Strike three. Yeah, okay. Wait, you're so, talking woo, about it. Life yeah. ain't going good for me. <laughs> hey, she knew what she was going to get with you. I, and not get. <laughs> Trust me, you're not getting a kiss oh, after you sterilize your mouth with, with urine. No, you're going to need a Mentos and a bunch of Listerine. I shouldn't even air this because I probably won't get any. I'm single. I can't. I can't. <laughs> some, some female that's on one of my dating apps might stumble upon this and be like, left, left, left. How many times can you swipe left? I'm going to check one your stove, make sure there isn't a gas leak in the house right now. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, I'm getting to the point here. Okay. I'm getting to the point. Okay. So what happens to a liquid over time? Evaporates. No. No. Stagnates. No. Okay. So what what if if you're gonna have, say, orange juice and you put it in the fridge, what happens to that orange juice? It layers. Yeah. Right? Sure. Pulp goes to the the cream right. rises to the top, right? Right. right. Yeah. And the, the liquid usually goes to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then you get whatever that weird sherbet is in the middle. Sure. Okay, looking thing. Yeah, the okay. chum. Well, urine is very similar to that, where okay. 
Never drinking orange juice it, again. It becomes heavier, okay, because when it's fresher, it's warm. <clears throat> so it's lighter, like a tea. I that, feel like you should give tastings. Oh, this is I mean, disgusting. you're describing the bouquet of it. And the, and uh, <laughs> the, the sad part about this is the combined experience of all three of those is less than 10 seconds. Okay, that's the that's the whole that that is how memorable these experiences are to where you can actually like a wine tasting understand the difference of complexity of body because that's how disgusting it is. But the when you think about it, all the different waste that goes through, you want it not to be. You don't want your tongue to pick up anything, right? And you don't. And so anyway, the point is, is that there I want was to cut my tongue out. Afterwards. Yeah, there, the, the accident one was a whole ice fishing thing. Somebody peed in a bottle. I went. I grabbed oh, that one by mistake. You yeah. know, you went for the right. sun tea within it. It went for the sun tea, and in an instant, <laughs> it spit out. So that one was like less than a second. Yep. The other ones was like four seconds of, of swish, 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 spit. Now see, maybe. Disgusting, 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 threefold. Maybe this has been all preparing. Maybe sometime in the future, your ability to not only consume urine, but to be able to parse the different sort of tastes and smells will be like life or death. You know, maybe that, you'll save the world. You, you have a new appreciation for uh, Dumb and Dumber when the police officer pulls over. <laughs> no, it's a cardigan. Pulls over the... Pulls over Lloyd and Lloyd Christmas oh, and Harry, what's his name? And, oh, I don't, yeah. And he drinks the, uh, what do you got there, Grandma's uh, cough medicine? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little potent. Oh. So you have that. And then uh, what, what's the other good uh, urine scene in, in cinematic history? Oh, well, see, I was thinking of, uh, what is it, Land of the Lost, the Will Ferrell remake, which nobody liked, but I loved. He decides that they're going to disguise their scent by using dinosaur urine. So he's went out in the early morning and collected it. And he proceeds to pour it all over himself. I've and, seen that movie. And when it's movie. burning his eyes, he decides, he's like, oh, maybe I should put some more in there. No, no, oh. that was a bad idea. Instantly worse. Instantly worse. <laughs> and then, of course, it's somewhere, so it's somewhere between Dumb and Dumber, and that one did not come to mind, but Dumb and Dumber did, and then Waterworld. Where Kevin Costner. Now, that was practical. I just watched that's that movie. That's what I mean. So, was again, it was, it was my, a circle of life, man. My Libra mind. Yep. Where you're, you're batting stuff back you and forth to until be it's water vapor. You're just going, like Kevin Costner. You're going to the Dumb and Dumber scene where pull over when they're trying to outrun sea bass. <laughs> kick his ass sea bass. And then you, you to water world just trying to live to off Mad of, Max uh, on water. Uh, yeah. So that's. Um, well, you are ready to live off the grid, man. <laughs> Ron Gusick with his ESG report coming up in the second half of this program in the work hard portion. Also, we have coming up this week, Dean Magson, professor at NDSU. Now, see, I would like to ask the professor. <laughs> you're not going to get a better. You're not going to get a better leaded for a president of an oil company or a professor of a university than a good old fashioned urine story. I, you know, I think we need to see if we can get a urologist in here. I don't next. even think we got one listener left because I kind of got grossed out by the story. Actually, we probably picked up a whole new subset of listeners. Our German audience just went through the roof. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting a text from darkhorseporn.8. Uh, love the show. <laughs> What's this, Yellowstone people? Oh, that's not Yellowstone. <laughs> Never mind. That's, I misread that yeah, email address. Google that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. We come back. Oh, boy. Maybe. 
Even when the flood starts rising Even when the storm comes I am washed by the water Even when the earth crumbles under my feet Even when the ones I love Turn around and crucify me I won't ever ever let you down I won't fall, I won't fall, I won't fall As long as you're around me Even when the rain falls Even when the flood starts rising Even when the storm comes Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws, all-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z.com. The Crude Life, play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Back to play hard, work hard, morning show. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. And boy, do we go off the rails on the last segment. You know, that's how I like to start a Monday, though, man. Just bam. I, I don't necessarily think a Monday morning is the best time to talk about urine. Of course, we are recording this Monday night. And we do have time machines. so With I ease. Yeah, we could go back in time and make drinking urine acceptable socially somehow. And so we we did actually have... Something of, of news. 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 It's not really news, though, which is kind of different. Nor- normally, folks, we, we do have a structure to this, but we're playing catch-up. We are playing catch-up. We are still going 90 miles an hour down the interstate, and we're changing the oil right now because 
We're bringing Jenica in to do the daily show for the radio. That uh, three and a half minute daily update we do for the radio stations. And then we also air it on the podcast, which you can hear after our play hard interview. Uh, she doesn't know this yet, but she's going to be handed off the weekend review show as well. Really? She's, isn't she starting a new column? We don't want to over tax her, we, right? We have not announced that yet. Oh, that's right. That's in the future. So there's a tease. Tease. Right. I didn't say yes. So we'll be announcing that this week. Another, meant, another announcement coming with Jenica. From the future. So maybe we got to, okay, we, we, we've got to parlay this here because okay. she had the one where she's taking over the daily show. Okay. Okay. So the next announcement, I, I should probably do uh, another announcement about her taking over the weekend show. Does she know that either? Well, I suppose the announcement would be that she agrees. Yeah. Okay. That would be good. You should just call her up on on, on air. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, a little pressure. Like, a little peer pressure. Uh, owner of company writes in Jenica's <laughs> name in business plan. She's not aware yet. Should we do like an onion for business? Totally. Just all kinds it's of... It's like our shell company idea, you know? <laughs> oh, you know what? I reminds me. I thought of it. We should sell golden parachutes. It's the new yacht Someone's wax. Already done that. Really? Somebody's already ah. done that. Yeah, that's got to be a gag gift by now. I'm sure that's you know <laughs> that didn't make it down to a surf level. Right. That's, that's up at the uh, yeah. The you know <laughs> the, the the people that use the brain for smart making the penthouse yeah. level penthouse. So, oh, the Hugh Hefner. So we we have that, and she's also going to be uh, having a. Um, as, as Sterling mentioned, we've got an announcement coming where she's going to be having a column in a magazine. So the interviews she's doing have been uh, catching the attention of so many different people that now her interviews are going to be turned into a column in a magazine. So good things coming. Excellent growth for, you know, really somebody who's a musician. You know, she's a musician slash part-time journalist. Maybe that creativeness really helps because she's very insightful, you know, the questions that she asks. And, well, she's a natural journalist, yeah. and that's the part that, that works. But you can tell also, it's fun for her, too. She enjoys it, yeah. yeah. And she also is a very uh, uh, kind individual, which is nice because really at the end of the day, she's, she's doing it from a non-political lens. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm kind of, you know, that's one of the things I enjoy. Harder, to, harder to do these days. All right, so before I bore myself now, um, which I kind of do pretty easy when I talk a lot. Well, we were just running around, you know. Coming out of California. <laughs> well, you know, normally we do news, and Sterling does the news, but we're playing catch-up here. And last week, we did kind of a, a game show, kind of a pinwheel, choose, if you will. Sterling got to choose. I liked show. that. We had music and everything. Yeah, we got to choose different topics and... Well, last segment, we apparently talked about a bet that I had taken on several occasions mm-hmm. and an accident mm-hmm. on one occasion. So we decided yeah. to go way off the rail there. So this time I thought, you know what, let's, um, let's do just a little bit of news quick. Yeah, we're going to bring it back down to earth here a little well, bit. Well, just a bit because, you know, we do have Ron Gusick coming on a little bit later. He is the president of uh, Liberty Oilfield Services. Of course, this is the oilfield, play hard, work hard, so, you know, buyer beware. Yeah, I'm not sure we're offending anybody's delicate sensibilities. So I just want to spend a couple minutes on this, though, because, you know, we do at the end of the day, do want to educate, we want to entertain, and we want to inform. And... We do want to make people aware of Mostly things. Mostly the middle one, though. 
I don't know if this has gone through yet because I go through all kinds of different Senate bills and, and take a look at different well, things. Well, it's, it's slated for a hearing. Okay, it is. Yes, it is. So, okay, and there's this legislative bill. It's uh, SB 467. And as I was looking through it, which I gave to Sterling and said, do you know anything about this? Because he's the one who looks through news. So apparently you found some news on it or must have looked it up because it has to do with, uh, I called it the Colorado bill. I mean, when I, when I read it, it had to do with setbacks. It had to do with. Yeah, uh, oddly enough, I, I, my first thought, and I haven't seen that mentioned you know, anywhere yet. As being a, because it sounds exactly like the Colorado. There has been other news sources, at least from other places, that have yeah. mentioned this bill. I'd imagine, um, but nobody's called it the Colorado bill. So we could get that moniker. Ooh, yeah, we could push that forward. We see if that website's available. Well, in all honesty, would that be good or bad for the oil and gas industry? It'd work really well. But I would be afraid to use that because th- th- someone might say, "Yeah." In Colorado bill, yeah. Well, you know, in, in Colorado, <laughs> at least, it, it seemed like the, it was going to allow local municipalities to set. Yeah, but the average person doesn't know that. Right, but person, in California, it looks more like a blanket. Oh, it does? Okay. That, that's, what it's, that's what it's looking like so far, anyway. Yeah, um, because the bill would, on or after January 1st, 2023, prohibit the issuance of new or modified permit related to the oil and gas wells production facilities within a health production zone. Yeah. That's the re- first red flag, yeah. health production zone. So now you've got a subcommittee of appointed people defining what a health protected zone is. See, I like to point this stuff out to people because... The average person reads this and they think, oh, puppies and kittens, Mm -hmm. cupcakes and goodies. Well, a health protected zone, isn't what they called that? A concentration camp back in the day? I don't know. I I mean, I I don't mean to be abrupt like that. But what I'm saying is that you can call something that does awful things a happy-go-lucky puppies and kittens. And that's what they did in Germany. You know what I've heard them mention in Colorado, and it looks like in in, uh, California too, is they call them frontline communities, right? So they're the the communities right there. Well, that's Orwellian. Right? I mean, frontline, that that makes me think of, you know, it's trench warfare warfare type of stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah, in California, it sounds like it it would be a minimum 2,500. 2,500 foot setback uh, on new and re-permitted wells. So that would affect, they're saying, over 16,000, almost 17,000 wells. Wow. And I was reading a lot about they're they're putting a lot of um, um, language in there, like in addition to increasing impacts of climate change, a growing body of research shows direct health impacts from oil extraction as far as two kilometers away from a well. And that's an interesting, what, ha- what ends up happening then is they start arguing about two kilometers. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, climate change gets by and all the other stuff gets by. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? That's the idea. That's the trickery that happens here is where they come up with two or three different arguments within one sentence. And really all they want is the one to b- keep, get through. Right. That's yeah. it. You right. know? Yeah. Yeah. To make a difference. Well, you know, as I understood in Colorado, at least it, it gave some local areas like Weld County and stuff, the ability to only do the basic minimum. You know, it was left up to them to decide. 
Uh, so in some counties, you're going to have areas where it's like, yeah, you got to be 6,000 feet back. But here it sounds like it would be boom statewide. And that's something about California I notice all the time is that they don't tend to do things piecemeal, you know, like other states might. I think, though, uh, even in Colorado and California, that at the end of the day, it just sets a it sets a floor, right? Yeah, it sets a floor like in Colorado. Yeah, you get local control, but local control says you have to be a minimum. There's still a minimum. Yeah. So that was like, maybe that was the compromise between nothing and whatever you want. Right. right? Yeah. And so that's what I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this just reminds me a lot of the smoking ban still. Mm. This is just still smacks of the template from the smoking ban in the 90s and 2000s, which they started in the 90s, of course. And I think California is actually where a lot of the smoking ban stuff started. Yeah. Because yeah, in public people, spaces, well, for because sure. people could go outside and smoke. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in Colorado when it's snowing outside. Right. It doesn't snow in California, yeah. you know, in San Diego. In, in, I'm old enough to remember 15-hour flights overseas where you could smoke. It was in the back of the plane. I totally forgot you could smoke on airplanes. It used to be one of the first things I'd do when i get on the airplane is switch a seat so I could get in the smoking section. I totally forgot that yeah. people could smoke on airplanes. When you think about it, it's like, it makes no sense, really. They won't even let you bring a vape pen on, right? Because the the heater, yeah, it's because of the heater that yeah. it might, you know, keep going. Oh, dude, I had matches, lighters. I mean, that's yeah, what I'm saying. All kinds people, of combustibles, man. Lighting combustibles in yeah. that air compressed, right? Yeah. That's the that, that's kind of the idea. Pressurized yeah, environment. The pressurized. Yeah. You don't want to be lighting a. <laughs> A match in there? Oh, man. I remember, you know, by hour like eight or nine, the whole back six or seven rows was just sort of a wall of smoke. You know, well, because the, the it actually, doesn't really, it doesn't well, have any place to go. The right. ventil, oh, I was going to say, I thought the ventilation well, was so yeah, good because it would suck it in. No, it was, it was, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to derail you. It just meant, you know, sort of jumped out. My favorite smoking uh, back in the day when I don't smoke cigarettes, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I, I just observe, but mm. every business partner I've ever had has been a smoker. And I'm talking like a pack a day minimum, right? Mm. So I've just, I've always been. You've always been around. Yeah, it. So yeah. I don't judge. I don't care, whatever. And so, but when I was a kid, I always remembered Pizza Hut. Their smoking and non-smoking section. That's right. You'd go into a lot of places and, and they would try. They would try, mm-hmm. okay? The smoking section was on the north end of the building. Yep. The non-smoking section was on the, the south end of the building. Yep. And, you know, you just common sense would just do that, right? Yep. Pizza Hut, it was just the aisle. So it was, ha, just, it's just, it was, it was just one big right. open box yep. room. Yep. They didn't have separate rooms. They didn't, it, was a, it was a rectangular box, mm-hmm. and you had just tables, And so you had aisles with tables. It was like a cafeteria. So the smoking section was literally three feet away from the non-smoking section. No partition, (laughs) no air ventilation. If you got, I mean, if the door opened up in the back where the kitchen was, the smoke would just trickle over to your table if the guy next to you was smoking. I mean... Well, that's like in the plane, man. There was a row that was non-smoking and the row right behind it that was smoking. Does it really matter? (laughs) You're in the no man's land right there, man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And if you wore a mask, 
you probably would have got escorted out of there for being some sort of terrorist. Right, Like, yeah. oh, what's he planning? <laughs> what's he got, some sort of mustard gas? Because it was just... See, I've yeah. never... Part of it, traveling around as much as I did growing up, is that uh, people wear masks was real commonplace in airports and stuff like that. It probably makes a lot of sense, just like you should have washed your hands more in places like that, you know? Yeah, it's just being cautious. Well, I just remember as a kid, growing up, when they were just ending the era of newscasters smoking on, on, the, air on the air during newscasts. Yeah. And you knew it was a good story mm-hmm. when he'd take a puff. Yeah, absolutely. For impact. <laughs> for impact, for emphasis. Right? Yep. You wanted a good pause. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. in, in, in radio, it's a silence. Well, and in you television, see, you take a puff of that And you camel. get that. That Charleston, yeah. But I'm trying to think of some six, some <laughs> lucky Florida, strike, some the 50, camel, 60s, 70s yeah, brand. That, you know? There you go, Charleston. Yep. Winston. <laughs> there's something. There's something missing from that. Nowadays, I suppose it's just what mm. uh, um, you got to do, kind of Mad Men, right, to bring back cigarettes. Is that where, where where do they do cigarettes on movies and stuff? It's, I, I don't it, see too much. Uh, no, and the ones they used in Mad Men, I remember uh, seeing something about that. They're not cigarettes, obviously. They were, you know, a stage equivalent. Californication. They're still Hank, they're Hank still Moody taking smoke. in smoke. Well, that's what know. I mean is that you have to go through characters. Yeah. In pop culture, because they they can't. Um, is it they can't advertise on TV? Well, uh, here's something that was jarring. The Did other I day I was watching Die Hard 2, right? Oh, oh. It starts boy. off in an airport around Christmas time. Were you at home or driving? <laughs> I was at home. Okay. It starts off, it's Bruce Willis at the airport sitting in a bar. What does he do? Lights up a cigarette. Yep. And all of a sudden it was just like, wait, you can't, wait, that's a, you can't do that. That's an airport, you know? And I was thinking just about how much smoking was a part of films, you know? And now right. and it's gone for the most part. Or it's it's regulated to period pieces like Mad Men, or it's it's only a bad thing, which admittedly it is, but you know. Or it's affiliated with somebody like Hank Moody from Californication, right? Who's just kind of that, you know, white snake. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> well, see the walking big... down the lonely road. I walk alone. Do I get two more notes? You get okay. two more. Okay, and, then we and I pay. think if you do a acapella, you're okay. We got to pay the royalty. Okay. <laughs> you know the thing is though is that. You do not want the oil and gas community or the oil and gas industry to become tobacco. No. And honestly, I don't really think it's on that trajectory. It's more of a... No, but you see how they're making the comparison, though. Sure. And this is where, when I was going on my little speaking junket back in 2017 and 18, trying to warn the industry Mm. that... They're trying to make you the new tobacco to where now I've seen headlines in the past year that have flat out said that. Where the argument is this, is that you cannot heat your homes with Marlboros. You cannot drive your car with Joe Camel. So leaders, leaders, you need to step up right now and educate the other leaders to stop the nonsense. Okay, we're talking about the cost of people's homes and heating Mm. and transportation this is real life stuff here this is not snarky budget well and it's so in your face every day you get up and you use these things you i mean it's you're making a conscious choice to use these things climate envoy john Kerry envoy should not be allowed to ride a private jet to go speak on climate change should be one of those pedal planes 
at best, he should have to go coach. Stagecoach. I don't care. Just whatever. And, and you know what coach is? It's all a bunch of people that he trusts. Whatever. Whatever right, it is. Right, okay? Right, it's just, right. But it's, it's, he's carpooling. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's not going private jet. He's, they, they need to start walking the walk is what I'm getting at yeah. in, in order for them these, these things to happen. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's true because it's, it's the low-hanging fruit to point at hypocrisy. To, to look at somebody like Al Gore and his Inconvenient Truth movie as he's moving into a $20 million mansion with, you know, 15 bathrooms, that kind of thing. Yeah, walk the walk, man. And you, people like us, every day we do because we have to. First of all, I love the fact that you're watching Die Hard. <laughs> and I'll even say that with the crappy one, too, Live Free and Die Hard, which was eh. less than entertaining, but it wasn't the worst movie ever. No, okay? he phoned it, it in, but Caddyshack too. Even even Bruce Willis phoning it in can be fun. I was down in the Permian at the Permian Pipeliners annual cookoff. Woo! With Sean Forbes, who fills in from you for you as the guest co-host on the Play Hard Work Hard Morning Show. She's with the OG Directory, and I'm surprised I still have a job. Honestly, well, we were me too. Mm-hmm. Well, we were no me. I thought you were surprised you had a job. She'd take me out by now, not you. No, I, you're fine. You got the whole Saudi Ramco brats thing. You you could actually bring something to the table. I can't. Once they figure out the magic bull crap that I'm doing here behind the scenes, I'm disposable real quick. You you got a network, okay? okay. So, all right, so. Uh, you know Saudi princes. You're hey, you're good. Okay. There's a lot of Saudi princes, man. <laughs> you let's see. How many do I know? Zero. How many does Sterling know? Enough to where he could actually joke and say, "There's a lot of Saudi princes." <laughs> I got 15 of them on my email account. You know? No, 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 no. So okay, I know it's more like 40. <laughs> All right. So getting back to where I'm going with this, I'm not the Permian Basin Pipeliners Cookoff Annual Cookoff. With the sexy and sophisticated Sean Forbes. We're talking with a gentleman, and I believe I can't remember who it was, so I don't want to say his name. That's not, probably a good idea. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter at this point. He's the guy that's not Steve Ducey. He had just watched Rocky with his kid. The original? Original Rocky, which won an Oscar. Yep. All right. Sly Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Classic movie. Came from Italian Stallion, the porn movie, right? That yeah, was his first that movie, That was his right? first movie, yeah. right? Yeah. To become an Oscar winner underdog mm-hmm. through an underdog boxer in Philadelphia. He wrote the script. And there was a part of that movie that was so quid pro quo, quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. At the time that... It glossed over me when I watched it in my 20s. Mm-hmm. But I, I bet I haven't seen Rocky for 20 years. Yeah, probably. the first one I probably haven't seen since I was a kid. I, it, I, I, I was more like of a three. Went through, I went through a time where I would probably watch a couple Rocky movies a year. Okay. You know, just because yeah. I had the VHS sure. or the DVDs. Yep. And you know how it is. Get your eye of the tiger on. Yeah, exactly. You know, or Burning Heart with right. uh, Draco. Oh, you know? Draco, I will crush you. I will you. crush you. That's Go right. I will it. destroy you. Go for it. What's her name? The um, tall drink of water. Oh, uh, the, the, she had the Bridget blonde. Nielsen. Uh, yeah. The blonde. The, with the buzz cut. Okay, getting back to Rocky. 
He was watching it with his kids. Okay. There's a scene in there where Rocky will not leave Adrian's apartment. That's right. And it's extremely uncomfortable, apparently. Yeah, it's... The look in this guy's eye, like he had to like have his kids leave and he... he How old are his kids? His kids were, you know, early teens, probably. 12 okay. to 14. Okay. You know, appropriate enough to watch yeah. Rocky. So, at least he thought. But still impressionable. But he said it was really uncomfortable for him. Like, like he cringy. was so far removed and culture has taken yeah. on the Me yeah. Too and just the workplace, you know, sexual harassment. Mm. Everything about the culture we've lived in the past 20 years, if you're in your 40s, yeah. okay? It was vi- he said he had a really hard time watching that. And I thought, God, I got to watch that again because I think I would be in the same boat. I've definitely experienced that with movies, you know, like 16 Candles. I tried watching with my teenage daughter and it became a discussion about consent afterwards. <laughs> Is that movie even allowed? Well, I don't know. We have it on DVD. You're I mean, right, it, because it, 16 Candles is about rape. It's got some pro- well, like we were talking about the other day, overboard. I mean, you know, well, there's there's that, some problematic that, stuff there. That, that what is what is the <laughs> sterile plot of Overboard? Blue-collar worker takes advantage of rich woman with a mental disorder. You could right? maybe make the case T- that yeah, that yeah. Mannequin might be the most equal of all of those movies in terms of not being totally misogynistic because honestly it's a magical mannequin right so um well it's it's a it's a man with a mental disorder having <laughs> sex with a mannequin that's at the end of the day that's what that movie is about and God imagine bless the, him for it. imagine the pitch for that movie <laughs> i bet it started off dark you know back, back then that was a normal pitch right, because because yeah. you could work I, and do cocaine I, I text this to people all the time you know when, when i see some new trailer of some new movie i don't understand i'll just text somebody oh remember the days when movies were simple and it was just about a man wanting to have sex with a mannequin or a werewolf playing basketball right because think about it when, Where's that when, America? When you have 10 guys on a basketball court go after a ball and out comes a werewolf, everybody just stands in shock. Nobody nobody leaves. Yeah. Nobody calls the cops. No, they start cheering. Nobody pulls out a gun. Yeah. No, he's your homecoming king. Well, and the other team isn't like, <laughs> what the F, man? <laughs> no, you just let him go it's, dunk. It, it's cool that he can jump 10 feet. And that's cool. You just let him dunk. Yeah, that's... Then again, if you let a guy eat an apple out on the court, too, you let him go do anything. Chubbs. Francis <laughs> right. Pee-wee's yep. Big yep. Adventure. He was also uh, eating... He would always eat food on the court. But that's what I loved about movies in the 80s was because they were so ridiculous, you knew they were fake. Yeah. Well, they were just... They took all the stereotypes and made those the characters. That's why I watch wrestling... There wasn't and, depth. ...and cartoons. Is because... Right. The reason I go to movies and television and the internet is to escape. Yeah. And so I don't, you know, Mystic River, that's pretty rare I get into a movie like Mystic River because that's like real. Yeah. That's like so good. It's real. Like what was the one with Jennifer Lawrence? I love the Mother Love Bone, uh, Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone. Love That's the first thing I ever saw her in. That, me too. And she was one of my favorite actresses since Kathy Bates and Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. you're right, right. Kathy Bates is my favorite. Yeah, she's and awesome. And then Natalie Portman, and and uh, just because of age, you know. Mm-hmm. And then next would be Jennifer Lawrence because of Winter's Bone. Yeah. That, by the way, folks. If that you kind of performance out of the gate for her, almost. If you don't know the plot, that that probably gave her her ego too, well, because it, that was the plot, and that was remarkable. Yeah. That was what it was. A, it was a couple meth dealers, right? Yeah. 
and they were somehow was it using the daughter? Well, I don't want to go through the whole thing because I don't want to ruin it for people. But okay, she's basically on a journey to find them. Yeah, and and, uh, and it becomes with some very dark, twisted uh, interpersonal decision making mm-hmm. with a child on do we get rid of her or do we you know play this out or yeah it's weird and meanwhile in the 80s we had weird science where you made women with dolls there was four people in the theater when i went to that movie weird science no no i I was gonna say what what the hell no winner's bone yeah there's four people in the theater at that movie that's when i knew i was really highbrow i was detached yet from from the average fear factor <laughs> women in bikini eating uh, reindeer balls on television right right yeah I was, I was i knew that i didn't fit in anymore but yeah meanwhile uh, the theater over is playing basketball you know and it's getting packed. back to 16 candles <laughs> though but uh i'm surprised actually because there, there was there was some uh consensual rape meaning that society allowed that to yeah. happen Okay, because yeah. at the end of the day, that's what he did, right? Yeah. Well, the, the, there's so many different drugged things. Her. But yeah, she was drugged. Okay. They, and, and then you got the whole long duck dong thing. Yeah. That that whole... That's problem. I mean, that was uh, that was a problematic to me then, but I still thought it was funny because I didn't have I still think that grounding. You I'm, know? I'm not mature enough to, <laughs> to not think it's funny. I mean, it, well, see, that's the thing is it's because his acting was so good. That's the hard part, and I, I kind of it's kind of like maybe I don't know our parents turning around and looking at Breakfast at Tiffany's and looking at Mickey Roney's uh, role, right? Where he plays a Japanese guy. I don't know anything. Okay, about he plays yellow face basically, and it's it's horribly offensive. It was offensive then. You could cut that whole thing out and make it a better movie. But a lot of people, like my parents, they saw it. They didn't make that connection. How is Tropical Thunder still around? Oh man, with uh, uh, Iron Man. Yeah, right. Robert Downey Jr. Right? Well, it's, it's in, all, in all honesty. Right. Well, it's interesting. It's like. What is that, 10 years? Eh, it's longer than 10 years. But. 30 Rock has taken off their blackface, yeah. right? Actually, okay. you might not be able to find Tropic Thunder. I oh, no, looked. no, it is. Can it's, you still? it's actually free on is Amazon it? Prime with commercials. Yeah. I just went through my Fire Stick. Um, what, did, what did I put in? Um, what did I put in when I we came over here? Breaking Bad? No. Hang on. He's got to check now. Jeez. This is the problem with having remotes and controls and future toys. You can just do whatever you want. I just put in cocktail. Oh, geez. So cocktails and dreams, right? Wow. Well, that was my fake bar name, Brian Flanagan. And so I thought, you know what? That's perfect. If I'm going to put in a little bit of background noise, why not put in a little bit of cocktail and see what happens? (sighs) True story, by the way. uh, When they did the movie, test audiences, it failed miserably, okay? And then they added the little flip in the bob. Bottles around, mm-hmm. people loved it. Yeah, oh, I, that's remember. That's the only thing I remember about it. So, anyway, I was just kind of curious. I saw Tropical Thunder on there, and mm. I thought, how the heck is that still on yeah. when everybody else has taken off everything? I don't even know how you approach that one. I, honestly, I really don't. Well, you, I, you, you, I mean, it's, it's a banned book. I guess yeah. You have to ban the whole thing. Yeah. That, that's why I think they haven't taken it off because now you're talking about book banning, except with movies. Yeah. Right? Soul Man. There's another one. Soul Man mm. from the 80s. That one's based on... I mean, that the whole thing is based <laughs> off of uh, culture jokes. See, I liked your idea for WWE stuff where you'd have members of the WWE do like a little thing in front of segments and talk about the context of it. Or like Disney will do where they'll put 
you know, some information at the front saying, hey, this is something that's got outdated views on women. This has got tobacco use, whatever, you know. I don't mind that. That's not of intrusive. But I liked your idea where it's like, instead of erasing it, let's talk about it. Yeah, just instead of a, a commercial, it's almost like a quick PSA. Well, because... It's 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 totally a non-starter to say you can never like. You have to basically wipe those movies out of your brain, and you can't enjoy aspects of it. It's kind of like watching a Kevin Spacey movie now. So right? would you be able then, <laughs> say Netflix, okay, uh-huh. whatever? Would you be able to have a button then that says you don't want those PSAs? Then I think you have to give that freedom. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So then we're back to okay. Yeah, but that's what. A working society is. I agree. Is you totally try to agree. find some compromise, some middle ground where you can address one thing while still you, giving the options. Do you do parental controls on anything? Not enough. Because no, I'm you lazy. On do you, on, on I do. Website, I do. Anything? No. Well, no. I do time controls. Okay. Now, how do you do that? No, on devices, it's easy. Okay. Basically, is it, I lock I, I, it out. I don't do anything. Yeah. So you know, if my kid has 15 minutes of. She wants to watch YouTube, right? But if she wants to get to more time, she's got to do something for it. But do you shut it down in the computer or do you just monitor it yourself? I monitor it myself. Okay, so you're doing old school parenting. Yeah. I just go through the history. I'm wondering how many people are doing the new robotic parenting where, you know, you can like... Well, Kindles and with stuff. Cable yeah. channels, okay. Yeah, the, I remember. The, yeah, the Ned Flanders, yep, right? Yeah. To where you you know you wouldn't let your kids see X amount of this. Yep. Um, Those were the days. We've got on HBO Max. I got a big J and a big O that come up, right? Jason and Otis. Right. Different. Got my stuff and technically, I can set up Otis's for him. Right, and, and only he and could. O- he can only see yep. this rating and. You know, whatever, you know, yeah. and then the video game system came out with their rating system. Mm-hmm. Tipper Gore. There's never been more opportunities for parents to be able to adjust. But it's so But there's also been so much. There's never been this much stuff right, to too monitor. Many choices. There's too many damn choices. And, then and then they give the got, kids an iPad at school. And your kids got ways around it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At one point, my seven-year-old figured out what the code was and just didn't tell us. So we figured, oh, she's doing great. She's... Doing something all day, and then I go downstairs and find she's unlocked oh, the tablet. If I was a teenager, I would have a uh, Walmart burner phone, <laughs> a Saul Goodman burner phone. Totally, absolutely, I would, man. How do you know your son doesn't? Well, I didn't tell now. Yeah, now I just. I'm sorry, I planted that seed of doubt. Well, I don't need. I don't need that. Okay. Well, I all I know me. is he orders food he on his own. 15, you know, so he's gonna get his driver's where's license he, pretty soon. Where's so. he getting his cash? Oh, he's got divorced he's, parents, man. He's got uh, he's hustling both sides. Oh, he plays both sides. Bulls, that smart fence. kid. Smart you know, he, kid. He's gonna. Yeah, he's gonna do fine. Yeah, he's gonna yep. do fine. Yeah, he's world. probably gonna go into business. <laughs> get him into that entrepreneur program at NDSU. <laughs> Getting ready for the storm Cause it's a big bad world Hollin' at your door It's time to let them in Cause it's a big bad world Hollin' at your door It's Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. <laughs>
Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Chewy Paws. All-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z, dot com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone lines. Ron Gusick, Liberty Oilfield Services. Thank you for joining the program here today. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about Keep America Beautiful because it is the month of April and one of the arguments I've made for a long time to even where I've won an environmental tournament on this platform, which is the oil and gas industry, is the leader in the environmental movement. has to do a lot with innovation, has to do a lot with their community building, and it has to do a lot with their actual working with government officials, which is kind of ironic that they seem to be up against the wall now, their backs, when it comes to what's known as an ESG movement. Uh, Mr. Ron Gusick of Liberty Oilfield, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thanks. How are you today, Jason? Uh, doing fine, and thank you for joining us today to talk about this. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to necessarily talk about ESG because I'm not really even sure that everybody's landed on a consensus that uh, that's the wave of the future, but I don't want to also ignore it. Uh, but I do want to talk about how oil and gas uh, builds communities and how it's been uh, helping the environmental movement and uh, how it has been working with government officials over the years. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, we kind of have a little conversation about that. That sounds great. I, you know, I, I certainly think little bit to be determined how that uh, plays out in the future but you know I, I think regardless of of what metrics we end up measuring ourselves on as an industry you know we have a I know oil and gas are going to play a big role in our world for a long long time to come and I think we have a responsibility as, as an industry to produce every molecule of oil and gas as cleanly and efficiently as 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 we can with consideration for what that means for the cost of energy uh, you know we it is the enabler of life as we know it today, and and you know, well, while, while there are s- solutions to all kinds of things, 
at the end of the day, we need energy to be a sustainable resource for all of us. And so we have to find that balance. One of the things that we've embraced here at the Crude Life and one of the uh, Bach and Barbecue's uh, example that comes to my mind because it's coming up in a few months, is, you know, it's open to the public. And we raise money for Make-A-Wish, and there's a, a network of women empowering women, and there's a backpack pro, uh, a program as well for uh, kids in education. So it's, it's nice to see how communities can really get built by oil and gas uh, companies and the service companies, the supply chains. And the part that I've always enjoyed is they really kind of allow the communities to build their own little culture with it. It's, it's almost like they give them a, a nice base, and then the communities can, t- can take it over from there. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about how you view how the oil and gas uh, community, uh, companies and their relationship with the communities. Oh, you know, I think that's one of the wonderful things about our industry. And and unfortunately, I think one of the things we don't get enough credit for, I, I don't know a member of the oil and gas community who is not active in some way, shape or form in their community, whose companies are not out there trying to make the places they live and work uh, better for everybody around. And I, I just posted on LinkedIn yesterday, um, uh, the API uh, chili cook-off up in the Bakken. And I was, you know, I was pleased to see they were able to make happen in person and i think that event raised about forty five thousand dollars for some uh for some charities up there it's been a tough year the last 12 months have been incredibly challenging not only in oil and gas but of course uh, across communities and, and and across our nation and, and so now more than ever that support is so important to uh to people and so it's great to see those events carry on and 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 it's true across the the industry of course liberty has the privilege of working from uh, all the way from up in Canada to uh, the U.S.-Mexico border and, and in a wide range of basins and communities. And every place we go, you see an active and engaged oil and gas community working hard to make uh, those towns, uh, those cities, those those areas in which they live and work better places. And, and they're out there, boots on the ground, organizing and participating in sponsoring and fundraising for those events. And, and, and so I, I'm incredibly proud of our industry for that. I think it's something we do very, very well. I have a question that I'm not sure you can answer, but, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult a lot of times, at least, you know, in the advertising business, which has, you know, been a big part of the media business for a long time. So I, I, I know how that works. And that's what's known as an intangible product, Okay. And, and, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but this is more for myself and the listeners here. But um, w- when you've got a tangible product like oil and gas, which is a commodity, it's a tangible commodity, and you start looking at the intangible, which really a lot of the social governance and a lot of the um, just the whole public relations side, if you will, um, is there even a way to quantify that or is there a way to, I guess, that companies look at that as a uh, quantify? Uh, the only word I can come up with is quantifiable. I don't even know if that's right or wrong or not, but do you understand what I mean? How does an oil company integrate that into their their day-to-day business, I guess, because it's, um, it's an intangible versus the tangible is what I'm getting at. Yeah, you, you know, I think I, I would come at that from two ways. I, I certainly think there's been some attempt to quantify that, uh, just just to give a picture to the 
um, broader populace around how much work goes on in our industry in, in, in that space. And so I know, for example, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association here uh, has has worked to to bring together all of that data and 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 try to summarize it at a high level, just to try to you know to use your word quantify that impact in Colorado and the communities that we work in. So it's I know I know there are some attempts to do that from an external standpoint. It, it's difficult, and and then exactly what happens with that data, you know. Does it get consumed by by people? Does it translate into benefit for our industry in terms of uh, uh, perception or uh, acceptance of of our industry in uh, in a place like Colorado? I, I don't know. That's a that's a tough thing. Internally, you know, I I think at least in Liberty's world, you know, we are such a culture focused organization. We are so much about creating a culture in which people want to come and work and and be with the people that they are uh, that they are colleagues with and, and to make a career of it and, and part of that is you know not only having a a, um, a a great place to come and work and a great group of people to work with but but to feel like that work is rewarding on multiple levels and you know i i think by virtue of working in the oil and gas industry uh it, it you know it's it's certainly easy to feel like we deliver a huge amount of good to the world and, and we absolutely do but it's fantastic to be able to layer on top of that you know, the ability to give back to the community, and and so that's we've just made that an important part of our organization, and and we view the value of that uh, in terms of of what that means to our employees and and how that makes them uh, feel about their ability to contribute to the community through uh, not only their work and um, in oil and gas, but also what we are to do as a company to support community organizations so I, I don't know how that how we quantify that but I, I I think as as believers in having a great place to work it, it's an important part of uh, of the workplace for us it's complex is what I'm what I'm hearing and and actually what I wrote down in my notes was um, amount of resources put into efforts and and really that's that's what we're talking about here is that um, there's a lot of resources that get put into turning on the light switch. And it's, um, you know, there's just a couple of questions left with uh, Ron Gusick, president at Liberty Oilfield Services. And one is about the, you know, kind of that, that light switch and, and how, you know, we've gotten to that point now, much like farming. I was just having this conversation yesterday with the North Dakota Ag Director about how, Back in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, the grocery store replaced the farmer in terms of the, you know, public perception. And I, I think that's going on right now with uh, the light switch replacing the oil and gas worker, because one of the things you mentioned early on, which I agree with, is part of, big part of our day-to-day is, is oil and gas products. And I've seen anywhere from 96%. So let's just call it 90%. If 96% of our day-to-day lives, from our, our tires on our car to our toothbrushes to, you know, the cell phones that we hold in our hand, are reliant on petroleum products, it's not going anywhere in our lifetime. So I think that's a fair thing to say. And that's the governance side I wanted to, to address, too. So um, the, the, I guess where I'm going with this, number one, just kind of your reaction, your question, yours thoughts when it comes to 
you know, is the light switch replacing the, the oil and gas worker? And, you know, is there a little bit of a disconnect or a little bit of a PR struggle that's happening in, in your mind? And how do we fix it? I, I absolutely think that's the case. I, I think there is, a, there is a real lack of understanding uh, in, in the world around where it is that energy actually comes from. I, I think, to your point, people turn on a light switch. They expect the power to be there when, when they do that. They plug in their phone to charge it, and they expect the little lightning bolt to show up in the battery there. Uh, but there's, there's not really a thought as to where it is that that energy is is arriving at the wall from and and so and i think we've we failed a little bit as an industry in that regard i think we have you know just put on put down our heads and done what we've done every day which is go out there and figure out how to produce oil and gas and make sure the world has the primary energy that it needs uh without thinking twice that uh that anybody would question um or or maybe not consider where that came from and so we we have a huge amount of work in front of us and you know i that's certainly true of the light switch uh the north face so you know we talked about i think a little while ago is but it is another example of that you know here's a here's a product that is made from oil and gas and there's just a complete lack of consideration i think for uh you know the raw materials that go into into that and so i think we have to stand up as an industry and and respectfully and and responsibly help to help people to understand uh, you know what what makes their supply chain work what makes that light switch work what makes uh, what provides the clothing that they get uh, all of those things um, that, that, that better help you know to your point about the farmer uh, ensure support for those industries that make modern life possible today uh, for the duration of time that we need them. I, you know, I'm not saying that one day we won't ultimately replace oil and gas uh, uh, with other primary energy sources and, and other means for making uh, petrochemicals and, and uh, plastics and things like that. But uh, I don't see that happening in, in, in the next number of decades for sure. And so between now and that time, it's up to us to, uh, to do a lot of work to make sure that that the, the public understands that and, and, and also knows that we are doing everything we can to the, to the whole ESG point around making sure we produce every molecule of oil and gas as, as uh, responsibly with as little footprint as we, as we possibly can. ESG, of course, environmental social governance. And um, I'm not sure if we, did, did we talk much about what you guys are doing environmentally? Um, I, I'd, I'd hate to, rob you of the opportunity to talk about that. I mean, I, I do want to ask you about the governance part because um, uh, go, uh, government affairs and transparency and um, just kind of, you know, keeping your cards whole, whole close to your chest has been the oil and gas industry for, you know, 20, 30 years, as long as I've known. And there's there's a movement to change some of that right now. So I do want to ask you about that. But I also I want to ask you about the environmental stuff that you guys are doing. Like uh, the example I like to give is uh, rig mats. Okay, so uh, the rig mat uh, industry came in and, and did a fantastic job of preserving the flora and, and the roots, and you know reducing the spills and, and that sort of thing. And then there's new engineering that came in that took care of uh, fugitive emissions with just bends of pipe. Some simple. Simple new bends of pipes took care of, you know, 10% of emissions in, in certain factories and things like that. So um, I don't know if you guys are doing anything at all, but I, I, 
I wanted to at least ask you, you know, is there anything that you guys want to highlight or talk about that uh, Liberty Oilfield is doing? Yeah, certainly. We've a huge number of efforts. Uh, in fact, you know, to this whole ESG point, we will publish our first ever ESG report uh, this year, probably uh, mid-May of this year, I think, is when we'll have Liberty's first sustainability report out. And uh, certainly would encourage people to watch for that. I think it'll be a tremendous document that uh, does a great job talking about very, very high-level things, how we need to think about uh, uh, energy in the world and its impact in the world, but then diving down into the details around Liberty, where Liberty has has done work in that regard. And, and, and there's a long list of examples. You, you know, we... We have opportunities in a number of areas as a as a pressure pumping company. So, uh, truck traffic, dust, noise, and emissions footprint for a frac fleet are probably the big ones. And, and, and so, you think about on the chemical side, and I, I think this is true for the pressure pumping industry as a whole. A huge amount of work has gone into uh, using cleaner chemistry and less of it to pump a hydraulic fracture treatment. You know, if you compare what we put in the ground today to what, uh, you know, the complexity of the systems we used to use when I started in this industry 25 years ago. Gosh, we have come a long ways. Uh, you could you could go to the grocery store today and buy the components that would go into one of our, our frac fluid systems. Uh, you could get them all at Whole Foods. And uh, I think that's a tremendous step forward the industry as a whole has taken, and certainly we at Liberty have had a pretty significant focus on on the dust side. You know, we moved to containerized sand back in 2014, it was with the goal of getting rid of pneumatic transfer on location and the dust that was associated with that and the noise that was associated with that. Uh, we built the quiet fleet in 2016. Again, you know, here in Colorado, we work close to people's houses. Uh, the offset has increased a little bit, but it was 500 feet for the longest time. And so we felt it was incumbent upon us to do what we could to reduce impact on those folks whose residences happened to be near a, a large pad we would be working on. And, and so we embarked on a two-year effort to lower the noise level of a frac fleet and ultimately got to a place where at 500 feet away, you could listen to the birds chirping and not a frac fleet pumping. Uh, and, and emissions, of course, has been a, a, a work in progress for the industry as a whole. I think, this, you know, certainly very true in pressure pumping. We take a large amount of horsepower out to location. And, you know, when Liberty started, that was a tier two diesel uh, asset. That moved to tier two dual fuel in 2013, the ability to consume or substitute some amount of that diesel for natural gas. In 2018, tier four diesel. So a meaningful reduction, I think a, probably a 10x reduction in NOx emissions versus uh, tier one technology and, and certainly more efficient. And then ultimately in 2019 came tier four biofuel capability, uh, which drives the substitution levels for uh, to replace displaced diesel with gas up to 75 or 80 percent. And next is electric. Uh, of course, we're hard at work on an electric frac fleet, in which case we'll be generating power with natural gas only, and we'll deliver what we believe will be the lowest emissions frac fleet ever put in the field. Uh, that's probably due out commercially next year sometime. We're in test with the uh, with those assets right now. And so I, you know, at a high level, those are, those are some of the things going on, but yeah, there's a huge amount of work that's, uh, that's taken place in this industry over the last decade. Uh, certainly in the time Liberty has been around that I, I think have, have made our industry dramatically better. Uh, the list is probably even longer on the ENP side. Well, I sure would like to have you come back in a month or two and talk about that electric frack. If you're in a position to do that, that sounds incredible. 
it's a it's a fantastic step forward. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think it'll displace the industry overnight, but uh, slowly but surely, uh, you know, we have gas ready and available to consume out there in the field with a little bit of processing. Uh, an electric system enables us the ability to do that with a with an incredibly low emissions footprint. So it is it is the next generation of frac technology, uh, probably together with tier four dual fuel. And so yeah, we're quite excited about it and definitely happy to chat about it at some time. I actually believe that this that what you just said is is uh, one of the better uh, opportunities to connect to reconnect with the uh, general public again. I, I really believe that. Um, you know, just the word electric frack right there, it, it makes you look twice. And um, if, if, that, if it can get pulled off to have that be accepted, that's, that is the step in the right direction. And I, I'm very curious to see how this goes because it's neat and it's fun and exciting. And it's really, it is positive for the industry, I, I believe. I, I think it's good win-win for everybody, isn't it? I, I, I think that's absolutely the case. I, I, I think it's a tremendous step forward for the industry. You know, there's there's a lot of work to be done to get to uh, deploying that that system out in the field. But there are some out there already, and and uh, the industry continues to advance that technology. But yeah, there will be a time down the road where the lion's share of the assets running out in the field, whether that's a a rig or a wireline unit or a frack fleet or whatever, will be driven by electricity. And and to some extent, that will be pulled off the grid, which of course offers us a uh, a path to. Uh, uh, electricity produced at scale, and in the cases where that's not possible, uh, that electricity will be generated on location, but but still uh, represents a meaningful step forward from an emissions footprint standpoint. Well, when I saw, and I'm not going to get too far off base here because I'm taking a look at the clock, and I appreciate the time you've given us, but um, that you know when, when the Tesla movement happened in the cars, electric cars, when. I think I read that at one year, 90% of the uh, Tesla batteries in Nevada came from natural gas, the, the electricity. And when I, when I saw that, and there, there was kind of still a disconnect between, you know, it's like, oh, Tesla represents renewable. And I'm like, no, there's actually not much about that that is renewable, but okay. And, but I get the electric part because that's, that has to do with emissions. And so I think bridging the natural gas and electricity in a new way is going to really help uh, everybody out. And I, I do believe that. And I think that's going to usher in a new acceptance of that. So that's where I was kind of going with, with the natural gas and the electric fracking is kind of a, a connection of the two. And I want to take yes. that and uh, transition into North Face, okay? Because you mentioned North Face. And so... Well, we take kind of the education opportunity that exists with an electric natural uh, electric frack, and then um, the opportunity that we kind of missed actually with North Face. When I when I say we kind of missed, I'm talking to the public officials, and what I mean by that is that there's been a, a G part in the ESG, which means government go- governance, and that has to do with transparency, but it also has to do with the uh, public private partnerships and the relationship between the people, which is the government, and the oil and gas uh, communities, which in the past, the oil and gas industry has done a a very good job of connecting with the um, government officials. I'm just wondering where the government officials are trying to say, listen, North Face, you guys are in a pandemic. Who are you to be refusing business when we're handing out money to people? I don't know if they got public money or not, but um, there's a little bit from that angle of, you know, the, the whole... 
who are you to be refusing business in a pandemic based on hypocritical ethics? Because that's at the end of the day, we all know it's hypocrisy, and it was a political stunt. And that's their world. That's not your world, man. That's the, that's their, that's the politician's world <laughs> to, to get involved in that political stuff. So I don't know how deep you want to go into that whole North Face thing, but you brought it up, and I thought that was a good example that I thought there should have been more politicians standing up and, and kind of bringing the public discussion um, to light, if you will. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly think for us, what that represents is an opportunity to engage with the public, to, you know, to push back a little and to say, you know, look, here's here's what reality truly is. The products that, and, and whether it's, it's North Face or any other outdoors company, the products that they produce are made possible by oil and gas. And, and, and so I think it's an education opportunity for us to work with, you know, to your point about the government, to, you know, with with elected officials to help them understand, again, just how much of our world is connected to oil and gas and, and to remind them that, that the, the life that we enjoy, not only the products made by North Face, but the ability to go out and enjoy the life that, that North Face would, would have you want to enjoy. You know, this idea that we could go out and experience the outdoors. We have the freedom to do that. We have the time to do that. We have the uh, financial wherewithal to do that. All of those things were made possible by low-cost, readily available energy driven by oil and gas. And, and you know, it only takes a, a look back 150 years in history to see that incredible progression to this place where we have free time for vacation, uh, to be able to go to the ski hill and or, or to the mountains to hike or, or to go mountain biking or whatever your sport of choice is. Um, you know, the... The North Face wants you to embrace all of that and and to do so in their products. And I would argue that that entire world of recreating does not exist without oil and gas. And so it's our responsibility as a as an industry to to take that opportunity to to educate both the public and um, and elected officials so that they, they uh, they have an understanding of, of what our role is in this world and just how important it is, and that we could then then you know we can continue to work with them on a on a path forward for our industry. Yes, we want to be we want to have stringent regulations that ensure uh, we are held to high uh, account in in the work that we do, but at the end of the day, that we have a path to continue to ensure humanity is able to uh, go out and enjoy the things that we have all come to love. Uh, in in modern life today and and to remind an, an organization of course like the north face that you need to be you need to be cognizant of 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 the industry that makes your industry possible and and you know maybe while we don't need you to stand up on a mountain and cheer for us um we, we'd certainly appreciate if you didn't step on us all right kind of final question two-parter here is the uh, esg we got a g part so let's talk about the governance last and, and i mentioned of course you know the oil and gas industry and government have been working pretty close for the last you know 20 30 years to where i think even a lot of oil companies have uh, government affairs as an actual title so i mean that's that's how much work they do with the government so uh talk a little bit about you know what has been done in the past when it comes to the government affairs and just that whole, you know, G part of things. Uh, the other part of the G is, you know, transparency. And that's a sticky wicket because you got shareholders, you got competition, you've got employees, you don't want to rile up. So the transparency part, you know, I, I don't 
I don't know how deep anybody can get into that. Um, so I, I, I just wanted to mention that because so many people are, are using that as a, uh, a finger-pointing moment on things, and I just like to be clear that it's not as easy as people think to be uh, transparent because people jump to conclusions very easily in today's world. So I just wanted to focus on what you guys have been doing uh, from the government, you know, fairs, and and then what you what what what's next? You know, what do you want people in the industry to know that hey, we're, we're going to keep doing the same thing, or you know, this is what we're going to do going forward when it comes to the uh, G part of the ESG or government affairs. Does that question make sense? Yeah, sure does. Okay. Um, and and to your point, definitely a couple of components to that. Of course, there is the there is the governance side of things. Uh, you know how it is that we run our business and the transparency around how that is done. Uh, and you know, I think we've built a business that that you know is aimed to be incredibly transparent from that standpoint from the get go. Uh, most important, I think, for us, just from a straightforward governance standpoint, is that the is that the team at Liberty is aligned with our shareholders. Uh, and 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 those people who choose to invest in in our business. So, you know, I, I I think unfortunately the oil industry has in cases been been guilty of misaligned compensation for uh, the for executives where uh, their incentives were not necessarily uh, going to drive the best possible outcome for for shareholders. But I think we've seen a real change to that in the industry. Uh, Liberty has always been has always been built that way. The executive team at Liberty has a compensation program, very very much aligned with the interests of our of our shareholders. And so, and and there are a pile of other components go into the governance side of things uh, around how it is that you 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 run a business and the transparency you provide there. And we absolutely aim to be on the uh, on the front of that. And so I, I think we're very very comfortable with that. And of course, if you read our our uh, ESG report, you'll you'll read all about that. Uh, to your point, the other side of that, of course, is the political engagement thing. And so, you know, while our interaction directly with the government as a service company is probably less than that of the ENP companies who are, you know, who are more dealing directly with them from a permitting standpoint and, and whatnot, uh, we too have an external affairs person uh, who who is focused 100% on on uh, our interaction with with outside parties and particularly uh, government officials. Uh, you know, Colorado is has been a, a place where we the government has been working hard to put in place more and more stringent regulation. We work in in incredibly close proximity to uh, population centers in Colorado, and so it's it's entirely reasonable that we are at the leading edge. In terms of uh, in terms of our regulatory environment, in terms of our footprint, and and that is driven by uh, by the regulatory body here in in Colorado, and so we work very very closely with them to help them understand what um, what best possible practices are, where technology development is going, and what is going to be achievable in the in the coming years. Uh, it, it you know it's they are not boots on the ground in the frack business every every day, and so we have a. We have a responsibility to help them understand our business and, and what our capabilities are going to be there, and and so we we have somebody who works full time in that regard uh, with the oil and gas associations in each of the states uh, at the uh, at the state official level with the regulatory body both on the air side of things and on the permitting side of things, and then of course at the federal level as well. Uh, 
So yeah, that's a that's a big piece of our world. Uh, you know, I'm, if, I'm guessing if you look back a decade or so, that probably didn't exist in the pressure pumping space. It probably wasn't something that was thought about. But but today, uh, and, and rightfully so, it's it's a critical piece of, of Liberty's world. Yeah, so much of today's world is already transparent. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm finding out things that I didn't even know about myself every day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just so I'm whatever you know because of the internet. So uh, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. There I mean, be really. secrets in our industry. I, I mean, we need to be open and transparent about what happens on a location each and every day. And there's and there's no there's no reason for us to uh, keep that stuff behind the curtain. We we are transparent about the chemical systems we use, and that's that information is fully reported now. Uh, we are open and candid about the technology we are developing, and it's our hope that the whole industry gets better. You know, if Liberty figures something out that, that makes the industry better, we love nothing more than to see the uh, entire industry lifted up by virtue of that. Of course, we are competitors. We have a we have a business to run as well, but at at the end of the day, uh, we are successful by virtue of the industry getting better. And so, anything that 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 we can do as a as a company that helps make our industry a a better and safer place to work. Uh, We are all in. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. With Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomena. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota United States Senate. Talking to Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Jerry Simmons, the CEO and president of DEPA, Domestic Energy Producers Alliance. This is Jerry Simmons. 
the, the idea here is that you, you look at the interests of the people that are, that are apparently in control of, of API. I think they're the large multinationals uh, that are, are mostly controlled by Europeans and, uh, and domestic U.S. oil and gas producers. And w- on this issue, we are, we are obviously diametrically opposed mm-hmm. to one another. API is an outstanding organization. They do fantastic research. They've got, you know, banks and banks of people that do research on a daily basis that we, as a, as a small U.S. trade, can't do. Uh, so it, it's wonderful to have them there. Uh, we disagree with them on this issue. And if they're going to uh, come out with a, a, an official API policy on carbon pricing, which is another word for carbon tax, then we're opposed to that. We're opposed to the Paris Climate Accords as well. It punishes this country and the citizens, of the, not U.S. oil and gas companies, okay? If you, we get into Paris and we keep going down the road that the Biden administration has us on, what's happening right now? What's happened since November? Oil and gas prices are going up. Mm-hmm. I, I think the last I saw, gasoline prices have gone up uh, almost 50%. Uh, since the election. Uh, I, I think there was a spike in there, but I think it's a steady 30 to 40 percent that they've gone up. Does that harm us? Our folks are making more money than they, they made in all of, of 2020 during the pandemic when, when oil prices were in the, the 20 to 30 dollar range. So no, this harms American consumers. And that's the thing that we get upset about is we want folks in this country to have reliable, inexpensive energy. Because we, we have it. We have the resource, and there's no reason not to provide that to the American public. What happens with the carbon tax, it's an energy tax, and that's what people need to understand about it. And it, that impacts everyone. It impacts the disadvantaged and the poor people in this country first. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. So there's still people without power as of this morning. You know, right now, I think there's very limited driving out there in West Texas. They're generating about 5% of the power today uh, in, in Texas. Sensing a microphone because I just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet. I mean, this, is, this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of Texas. Uh, there are, and let me just say this, I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid. 
On the phone talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities uh, lines in Texas. So we have a lot of, and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a sixth. It it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, The grid operator is projecting that nearly 3 million homes in Texas uh, are without power today. uh, And and there's- It's our snowy here in Lubbock again. I mean, I don't, I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa, and that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Hector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Hector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh, all, all in West Texas, all in the middle of the oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those, uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that we can either one, heat our homes, or two, uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, with pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage, uh, in place to be even be able to handle a, 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 you know, the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now, you know, there's gonna be a spotlight on that. And just an incredible impact. We saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday. Half of the lodge went without water since Saturday. On Friday, the Railroad Commission uh, took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock on. We'll have water for until 5 p.m. and then we'll be off again for the night. On Friday, I sent a letter asking the Public Utilities Commission of Texas to rescind its order authorizing uh, these uh, generators, these generators or these providers to increase the rates. You know, I don't know that true, but I don't think I'd want to be in a hospital in Dallas, Texas on, a, on life support and know that wind energy is going to be my source of keeping that machine running, right? J.P. Warren reporting from uh, Houston, Texas at 9, 12 a.m. Uh, I don't even know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday. I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken 
Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.